you. Let me ask you to... There's a little bloop there. It says Frank is preaching. That's not true. I'm, I'm not Frank. <laughs> I'm going to be preaching today. And um, actually, we're kicking off. The, today is, a, is an introductory first message of a series that I'm titled God Our Father. And we're going to talk about the importance of what does it mean that Jesus takes us to the Father, that we have a Father that God is not just God and God is not just creator and God just not just judge, but he is our father. One that is perfect in love and security. And so um, let me ask you to go to John chapter 14. It's a very important passage. John chapter 14. Verses 1 through 11. Actually, uh, our bishop team looked at this passage. There's so much in this passage. Uh, it has a very famous verse, verse 6, that makes it very clear that it's Jesus through whom there's only salvation. But I hope the rest of the passage will be challenging to you, and this will be our int- uh, entryway into this subject matter, very important subject matter. Um, this is the Word of God, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves." May the Lord bless the reading of His Word and the preaching of His Word. Let's pray for this message and this series. Lord, I, I feel, I often feel inadequate to preach Your Word, but especially in this series, we're talking about something that is so tremendous. And um, I feel all the more that I will be a babbling fool. But may You use these, these, uh, these stumbling lips to speak great and important truth and your spirit would sow this truth into our heart and change us and make us a new kind of people, really a, a different kind of human beings that we're not used to seeing, something so beautiful and compelling because we are your children, Lord, that we are your sons, your daughters. pray this in Jesus' name. Now, I'd like to make just a couple of introductory remarks before getting into this subject matter. Um, I'm going to talk about what does it mean that God is our Father, and I'm very, 
I, the reason um, I'm very aware, and I, I don't know if you feel this, uh, I don't know if you feel this and see this. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is that as I have been now, you know, I've been back in full-time pastoral ministry, and I've been a pastor for a long time. I've seen this again and again as a problem in the hearts and minds, not just of people outside the society, but of people in the church, people who are Christians, that they look at God, that they look at God, but they don't see God to be their dad. <laughs> they do not see God as their loving father one who loves them perfectly deep all the way down to the bottom of their soul. And um, especially in Asian American church communities, I think this is just a real, it's a big hole in the heart of many of the Christians. It's one of the reasons I want to talk about why we want to have this series. Two, one of the big problems in our society is that our society has really a poverty of fathers. Our society really stinks at raising up men to be dads. And I don't know if you realize, I think one of the, I think almost so many of the deep problems of our society goes back to this, right? Is that the men don't, aren't dads because they, they, uh, they sleep with women and then produce children and then they don't raise them because so they're not being fathers. Or two, uh, there's divorce. And so men who may love their children, then they get divorced and then they no longer can father their children because they're no longer around them. Right? Or three, your parents may not have gotten divorced. Your dad is still around, but he's a bad father. He's a lousy father. Right? Maybe he's not the worst father or maybe he doesn't beat you. Maybe he doesn't abuse you verbally but he's just not there, or he's emotionally not there, or he doesn't understand you. So there's a tremendous disconnect between you and your father, right? Or between you as a father and your children. That is common, right? And we, this is, as I look around our society, this is just the norm. <laughs> this is just normal. And this is all the more um, brought home to me this week, this, so much of this week, Many of us were in Bishop, and I was one of them. And Bishop is a tremendously fatherless society. Uh, it, is a, it is a culture when the fatherlessness is even worse than throughout the, you know, the mainstream American culture in which we live in. But it was a kind of shocking and horrific picture of what our society would look like when fatherhood is even more broken than it is. Because in that society... Those of you who may not have come out to the, our presentation on Friday night, uh, there may be less than 5% working marriages in that society. And many of the Indian children that we meet, they didn't grow up with a dad. Or they grew up with their mom, but their dad went to go live with another woman. <laughs> so they got brothers and sisters, but they're on the other side of the reservation. But they're half-brothers and sisters, and they never knew their dad. Or their father was a drunk, and then he left the reservation, and then he left... And he, he never came back. Or their father ended up in prison. So they weren't raised by their dad either. So they have a dad, but he's in prison. And if you look, to look at, you know, it's, a, it's not a very big nation. They call it a sovereign nation. You can literally go to the edge of their nation. And you can literally meet almost every single person who lives there. And to actually see the sum total of a society that is tremendously broken in fatherhood and to see essentially the hellishness of what they grew up in, that is a little sneak preview for all of you who, who want to know where is our country going. 
If you were to go out to Bishop and just talk to all the teenagers and just talk to generations, the little bit older people in the middle and the younger, and ask them what they're like and what their family was like and how they look upon the world, the despair and hopelessness they have in the world, because in their society, many of the children, they either, you know, they fall to teenage pregnancy, alcohol, drugs, met a guy who not only did methamphetamines, but uh, meth, he used to not only do meth, I don't know if it's meth, methamphetamines. He did meth. He not only did meth, he, he was a dealer. He and his wife were dealers, right? And then he got saved, and he was sharing the story with us. It's not methamphetamine. It's meth. It's worse, okay? And this is so the big problems on their reservation and just the hopelessness, the crime, the suicide. There's the suicide is, is, is a common thing. And... This is a little microcosm, a trailer, so to speak, a kind of sneak preview of what the movie is going to look like in our society if we continue forward and not have real fatherhood in our hearts. Not just a person that we say, this guy's my dad, but really, what does it mean to have received a deep love fatherhood in our heart and then, and then to have true sonship and daughtership? Um, one more point that I'd like to make before I get into this text is this. I don't know how this series is going to impact you. I know that a number of you have had issues with your own father right? in, many, in multiple different kinds of ways because this is an Asian American church. It's just normal, all right? I have my own issues with my dad, and um, I don't know how this will impact you. Um, I don't know how it will impact those of you men who are already fathers, and is struggling with what it means to be a father, I, I, I am wrestling with this text. But let me encourage you, I mean, you're always free to do this. After messages, come and talk to me. And always within our community groups, and we have these community groups, so you could talk about the deep things that God is placing on your heart by His Spirit. But all the more, through this series, let me urge you, let me encourage you, please share. Talk these things out with your brothers and sisters. And pray for one another and walk with each other as we go through this, okay? Let me talk about this passage. This is a very famous passage. Verse 6, I am the way, Jesus says, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Classic text that says it is only through Jesus Christ, only through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is only that Christianity presents the way to salvation to meet God. This is a classic text that people like to cite, but I want to point out something to you that, the, about this text. Do you notice that God doesn't say, I am the, Jesus doesn't say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. He didn't say it that way. No one comes to God except through me. That's not what he said. The word is, no one comes to the Father except through me. Later on, he goes to this passage as he's having this conversation and the disciples are confused. You got Thomas, the doubting one. You got Philip, the one who, whenever he has a question, he has no problem at popping out of his mouth, right? The one whom Jesus said, in whom there is no guile, there's no trickery in this guy. And they just straight up say, hey, can you show us the Father? <laughs> can you show us the Father? And Jesus says, the Father's in me. If you've met me, you have met the Father. And it's a mysterious thing that he's talking about there. That, and some people think, well, does that mean that the Father and the Son are interchangeable? No. You know, there's a, a very important teaching in the Bible that we call the Holy Trinity. There's three persons, one God, but the Father is a different person than the Son, but 
The Father is so deeply in the Son, Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, that only the Son can take you to the Father. And throughout this whole series, I want you to be thinking about this. Much of the preaching in this church, I'm constantly helping you to try to meet Jesus. The total and complete sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is our treasure. Jesus is our reward. Jesus is our savior. Jesus is our, is our bridegroom. We've talked a lot about that. That Jesus is the absolute apart from whom we have nothing. But throughout this series, I want you to see in the Son of God, Jesus, the pathway to meet His ultimate thing that He's trying to do is this. Take you to the Father so that the Father's love would absolutely rain down upon you like an ocean from the sky. That's what He's trying to do. That you have, I shared in Bishop, that you have an infinite hole inside of your heart. It's infinite. I mean, we're not talking a million feet deep. We're not talking about a, a billion feet deep. Because if it was, you can actually throw a rock down there and you could wait maybe five years, ten or twenty years, and it would get to the bottom. But really, inside of you is a hole that is infinite. And the only way to fill that hole is if Jesus takes you to the Father and the Father's love pours out into your heart. Because you're all children. We're all children. And you cannot be whole as a human being until you have a Father. A Father who makes you whole and makes you a son and a daughter under Him. And that's what this passage is all about. And so I want you to see this. That many of you, you're like, I need God. But actually you need more than just to say you need God. You really need he who is at the very fountain of the Godhead, who is the Father, to be your Father. To be the Father for you. To re-father you the ways that you may have not been fathered. The way to re-deeply put a love inside you that you have been seeking and chasing your whole life. That's what we're talking about in this series. Okay. Now I want to say something. I want to say uh, a couple of, you know, these are, these are big things I want to talk about today. Some of you, you want to get to God. And you have a different picture. What is your picture of God? That is the question I want to ask, raise before you. The picture that you have of God. And many of you, I imagine, have a picture of God that God is basically almighty creator. Let's just put it that way. He's the one that made everything. He's the one that sets everything. And you can't argue with him. <laughs> he is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. He knows everything. If bad things happened in my life, he already knew that was going to happen. I mean, he planned it, didn't he? So therefore, it's like, ugh, you have anger against him. The omnipotent one for putting bad things in your life, for meeting the wrong person, not having met the wrong person, for having children who's, who are broken, or for not having children yet, or for my career haven't been worked out, or my, or my body isn't so good. I'm not t- as tall as I'd like to be. I'm not as pretty as I'd like to be. I don't have as much money as I'd like to make. I haven't gone as far in my career. Something. And you're like, that's God, right? God did all these things, right? And all of that is true. God is the omnipotent one. The omniscient one. The all-powerful one. He is creator. You are talking about, when, we, when you think about God this way, you are really looking at what I what I like to call the godness of God. <laughs> right? I call it the godness of God because nobody else has any of these attributes. You can't go meet someone on, you know, on the street and go, Hey, Chris, 
Show me some of your omnipotence, man. <laughs> we can go show me your hair and show me your height. Show me your smarts. Show me your talents. But nobody else has such attributes like omnipotence or omniscience. Nobody has such attributes. And when we talk about God, you know you, we are talking about a being who is so utterly apart and different and so powerful, but you know, we know he's supposed to be majestic and beautiful, blah, 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 blah God, the godness of God, right? And we come to church and we talk about these things, and you're like, okay, God, I'm supposed to be like still before God, and I'm supposed to be honor God, and I'm supposed to have the fear of the Lord, and I'm supposed to worship him, and I'm supposed to follow him, you know, all about these things. All these things I'm calling the godness of God. But actually, in this passage, what I want you to show you is that Yes, all of that is true, but God actually, in one sense, wants you to get past all that. God wants you to go through that. You can't know God if you don't know about the godness of God, the omnipotence, omniscience, the fact that He is creator and judge. But God wants you to get past that. He wants you to go deeper than that. And He wants you to meet the one who is His Father, your Father. That that's what we're talking about in this mess, in this series. Okay. Let me talk about a second issue. You know, one is it's just, it's just strange. This first issue is, in one sense, how correct doctrine about God, in one sense, is an obstacle for you to meet and have a real relationship with the true God, because this big God is just so big. Like, how do you have a relationship with Him, right? But to, in this series, I want you to say, God, let me meet you, Father. Not just God, the Father. Father, I need to know you. And I need to know that you know me and see me and love me. The fatherhood of God. The second issue I want to talk about is the issue, this is a very large issue, and is this. Most of you know that um, between your mom and your dad, who do you feel safer and more secure with? And I would venture to say most of you, for most people, it's probably mom. (laughs) Right? Mom. It's mom who wipes your nose. It's mom who puts the band-aid on your knee. It's mom who tells you it's going to be okay. It's mom who woke up in the middle of the night to wipe your rear end. It's mom who woke up in the middle of the night, who put her her to her breast and just held you so close. It's mom whose skin that you probably touched who put, where you put your face on her shoulder and into her chest when you were hurting. And so it's when you go and with your mom and your dad, it's your mom, right? So you're like, it's your mom who I just feel so safe and so loved. But dad, man, that, that's a little tougher with dad, is not it not? And yet it's very interesting and very important that God says, I'm the father. And one of the reasons why this is so, it's a little bit harder with dad is because dad Often and usually, not in every family, but on most families, right? Dad doesn't just represent the one who loves you. He doesn't just represent the one who protects you and provides for you, but dad represents a standard. (laughs) Dad is a little tougher. Dad wants something. Dad has a picture of the type of person you're supposed to be. And dad doesn't just say, it's okay. Dad (laughs) pushes you. Dad kicks you. Dad will, uh, you know, dad will pull out, you know, the, 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 the stick, the rod. In our family, it's a, it's a wooden spoon, 
right? My children to this day are a little afraid of wooden spoons, all right? <laughs> and there's a little, there's, there's one time I was like, uh, I was actually stirring the, the, the jjigae, the Korean stew, just to help my wife. She's like, hey, can you do that? And sure, I'm like stirring this thing with a wooden spoon. And I'm talking to my wife, blah, 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 in the kitchen. And Elizabeth goes, why is Appa holding the Medna stick? <laughs> she started getting really nervous. <laughs> just watching her dad cook. And I looked at it and I said, this is not the Medmed stick, right? This is a spoon. I put this thing down and then I went over to the, we have a special spoon for this. And then I went over to the drawer and I pulled out, this is the Medmed stick. <laughs> and she went, oh, you could just see her. Just, but just, it just looks close, okay? Right? And, um, you know, I, I don't beat my children. I, I discipline them, right? And I don't hurt them. I, I, you know, we, they, we, we pull their pants down to the juicy spot right there and right, right on, the, on the juicy spot of the rear end is where they get the, 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 the back end, you know, the, the soft end of the, well, it's not so soft, of the wooden spoon. That's how they get disciplined in our house. And, um, and thankfully, they, don't, they rarely ever need it. Actually, it's been a long time since they've received it. And that's how it should be, right? When your children start to meet their father and know the love of the father, that they don't need the spoon. <laughs> they don't need to be swatted. They may need to be a little reprimanded, but they long to receive their father's approval. They long to receive their father's good word. They long to see the pleasure of their father on their face, to know that here I am so utterly secure. Here I can just goof around. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I watch my kids doing this, and utterly without, you know, worry, I, then, you know, that, I, I go, I, I must not have screwed up, <laughs> right? There must be, something must be good. And um, just, I'll just share this a little bit. This morning, my son was making his breakfast. You know, he was getting a little bagel, whatever the heck he gets, right? And while he was wandering, you know, while I was walking back and forth, and in, in our, you know, in the kitchen in our dining room, he was singing a praise song, right? He was singing a song, um, and it's a song I hadn't heard in quite a while. And he was singing this song, and just, you know, just thinking, nobody's watching him. I'm not watching him. You know, I'm brushing my teeth or whatever. But from my bathroom, I can hear him do this. Just freedom, security. But you know what? Like, he had to hear a standard from his daddy, <laughs> Right? And he and he he got swatted plenty of and he got he got a lot <laughs> he got a lot of wooden spoon wax on his rear end for his disobedience and rebellion and and just being just being an idiot okay um, uh, he, he got plenty of that as a, as a kid but here he is and dad is tough it's harder because there's a standard to him and there's a discipline that flows from your dad sometimes out of his lips sometimes literally from his hand. And that's it's fearful and it's hard. You know, in this world, the meaning of your life, many of you don't, you think you can go out and like, I'm going to have this job. I'm going to get in this college. I'm going to do really well there. I'm going to get this career and then I'm going to make good money and then I'm going to be successful. I'm going to meet this really hot woman and she's going to love me, or this really handsome guy, and he's going to be successful. He's going to love me, and then we're going to have a great life. 
And then we're going to have these really beautiful, smart kids, and other people are going to go, your kids are special, <laughs> right? And you're going to go, yes, because they came from me. <laughs> they look like me. They sound like me. I raised them really well. I'm special. <laughs> My wife is special. My kids are special. They dress special. They drive special. They're special. We're special, okay? And you go through this. I mean, you don't actually say that, of course, out loud, because if you did, people would think you're stupid, right? I'm special. Aren't you special? No, no. We don't say it this way, right? But actually, there is this little, there is this, this drive inside of you. And the drive comes from a black hole, which is infinite, which you need to be filled. And you know what needs to go in that hole? Two things need to go in that hole. One, the presence of a person. That's the Father. Two, a word that comes from the Father. That's what you need. The presence of the Father who says, I'm with you. You belong to me. I belong to you. I'll always be in you. And two, a word from the Father. A word that says, you are mine. And you are special to me. That's what you need. And your life, the meaning of your life, you know what you're looking for? You are looking for this word. (laughs) You're looking for the presence and you're looking for the word, but especially the word. The word is this. Your whole life, there's a series of verdicts. People are always pronouncing verdicts upon you. And you're looking for this verdict to be pronounced as a word, to be spoken into you. That's why some of you and many of you, when someone says something like this to you, hey, that's a really pretty dress you're wearing. Did you do something to your hair? Man, you look really good. The ladies just go, (laughs) you know, your heart just swells up, ladies. You know what I'm talking about? And you guys, you're like, man, that was a great spike. That was a great catch you did yesterday. Or... Man, that was just, you just did it. Or like so many of you, you do it in your work or on the athletic field. And when someone says it to you, it feels good. But you know what? It's not just someone, the right someone has to say it. And especially, you know, especially you're looking for the most important someone to say it. And you know that they don't just say it. They really mean it. It's totally honest. And they're saying it from the well of the bottom of their soul. And they're putting this verdict onto you. Your whole life you're chasing this. You know this? You know, here, look. You want someone to say you are special. You are smart. You are good looking. You are precious. You're athletic. You know, you want to be the first one picked on the team. Any of you ever had that, that the painful experience of being the last person picked when they divide up on teams when you were like in third grade? You're like, oh, no. We're going to play kickball. And I am going to be the last loser out here. Doesn't that stink? Men especially, they need to be told, they want to be told from their dad, you are tough. You certainly are tough. And the one that we really want to be heard from our father is, you are mine. You are mine. But... Throughout our life, you are afraid of other verdicts. And these are the verdicts that we hear. And sometimes you hear this verdict from yourself. 
oh, man. The self-hatred verdict. The verdicts are like this. You're not smart enough. You're dumb. You're not tough enough. You're weak. You're not persistent enough. You quit. You're lazy. You're ugly. You're fat. You're not good enough to receive my time or my attention. And worst of all, you're just nothing. And it's not that your parents actually ever say that. I hope they never say that. And if your parents ever say any of those things, quite frankly, it is horrible, isn't it? But it's not just that they say that. It's that the verdict isn't like they're going to say, okay, Hudson, Laura, Elizabeth, sit down. I have a verdict for you. (laughs) Today, you were good. Today, bad. You, bad daughter. If you keep this up, I don't know if you can keep being around here. We don't actually say these things. But you know what? There's a verdict that happens all the time from your father. And the verdict is like this, is if you walk into the room and he totally ignores you, it happens again and again and again. If you, if you go up to your dad and you want to have a conversation and you have a question for him and that question is just not important enough for your dad or it's a stupid question, he even says, that question is stupid. <laughs> or, you know, you go out there, you're playing in a, a, a baseball game and dad never shows up. Or if he shows up, he looks like this. Got that. Oh, gosh. It failed again. You know, this, these are verdicts. These are verdicts too. And they're hard, aren't they? And your whole life, your parents have been giving you these verdicts, especially your father. And then your, your parents have a standard. You know that? I'm not even talking about the law of God, the ultimate eternal standard. I am talking about your parents' standard. Your parents' standard may be, you better get into a UC. If you don't get into a University of California, they don't actually quite say it that way. But they push you a certain kind of way. And you can feel this. If you don't quite get into this school, that you will have disappointed them. And like the verdict, they don't actually say You're a real disappointment to me, son. You're a real disappointment to me, my daughter, because, like, man, where where are my grandkids? And you you marry a guy that I really liked. They don't actually say it quite that way, but you could feel that verdict coming off of them through the relationship, right? And so this issue, it's it's hard. This, this, This fatherhood issue is hard. Because in the father is the one who loves you protects you, provides for you, sees you as a plan for you, but he also has a standard. It's hard. Right? Now let me say this. Christianity. Christianity is actually supposed to produce a certain kind of person. And I know it when I see it. I know it when I meet this person and I, I'm looking for this all the time. Christianity is supposed to produce a certain kind of person. Many people think it's the person who goes to church. It's the person who never cusses and swears. The person who got all their rules and their act together. That's not it. 
that's just that's really shallow. That is not you haven't even that's like that's not you haven't even touched upon the real thing. Christianity is actually supposed to do something to a person and make them into a different kind of person. And there are two signs that I look for. You know what Christianity is supposed to make you? It's supposed to make you into a joyful, obedient, glad, free son of God. That's what Christianity is supposed to do. It's supposed to make you into an absolutely free and obedient and glad child before the one who is the father. That's what it's supposed to do. So if the person says, if you meet a person in the church and they're constantly asserting their rights, you don't have a right to say that to me. I just look at that person and say, you are not a son of God. You're always asserting your rights. Sons and daughters who really love their fathers and mothers don't go around asserting their rights. <laughs> if my son sat down to me, Dad, tomorrow I have a right to get my way. Yesterday, Laura got her right. She got to eat her kimchi dish. Tomorrow I get my right that we get pizza from Cicero's down the street. You know, and if he were to say that to me, I would look at him and just probably want to smack him across the head and just go, boom. I'm like, get out of here. No dinner for you, <laughs> right? <laughs> Why? Because he's not talking like a son. He's talking like some kind of like legal idiot, <laughs> right? I, they're rules. Here are the rules. You have to do this, and I do this. I got mine. You get yours. You did this. I did this for you. Now, give me mine. <laughs> That's the legalist. And so anyone who shows up in church and they have this spirit, my rights, my rules, what's, what's mine, what's yours, right? They're not a son. They're not a daughter. They're not part of a family where God is their father and, and, and his identity and his care and his plans and his spirit and his love is deep in making them into a son, a daughter. So, this is what Christianity is supposed to do. And there are two, two marks that I look for when I meet people who are true sons and daughters of God. Two signs. And, um, and I hope this doesn't make you scared. <laughs> Some of you are like, dude, I don't got those. <laughs> Does that mean I'm not saved? Well, I want to scare the heck out of you, but maybe... <laughs> If you don't have a shred of either of these two things, you might not be saved. Quite frankly, you don't know God. If you have the seed of one of these two things, just even a small, let me just show you today. If you have just a seed of this, just a small beginning of this, let me say, you are, you've begun to walk towards sonship. And here are the two things. One, I look for this. I look for this all the time to people. And, you know, as a pastor, I'm not trying to, like, legally, like, you know, some kind of standard. What I'm looking for is, is the Father's heart in you? And the two things are this. Number one, do you have a deep, secure love that shapes your identity? Deep. It is deep. It doesn't shake easily. Right at the bottom of your heart, there's a deep, secure love that holds you as a person. I'm looking for that. When I pastor people, when I meet people, um, you know, when I meet non-Christians, uh, the vast majority of them don't have this. Some of them came from a family that was so strong. I meet non-Christians whose love 
foundation is deeper than, than a lot of Christians. And I just think, dude, you must have had a good daddy. <laughs> right? Because if you haven't met God, sometimes if you've had a really good earthly father, they have this. They have something like this. Okay? But you can't ever go deep enough in this until you've met God. Do you really have God as your father? You don't, this isn't nearly strong enough. And even in the majority of Christians, it's not nearly strong enough. Right? But I look for this all the time. Number one, a deep, profoundly foundational, secure love. And number two, the thing I look for is what I call grace-motivated obedience. Grace-motivated obedience. The Bible says this, and you don't go, oh, man, that's just a load on me that I don't want to do. <laughs> See, that, that's the thinking like a legalist. A legalist goes, you can demand A, B, C from me, but not D. <laughs> that's too much. You can ask me for my time on Sunday, but not Monday through Friday. You can ask me, Jesus, to come to church, but you can't ask me to forgive my brother because he really hurt me. No, that's too much. Right? You can ask me to, to teach Sunday school, but you can't ask me to go to another country for Jesus. You can't ask those things. That's too much. Okay, that's a legalist. Okay? You understand? That's a legalist. Or I do this because if I don't, then I'm just a lousy Christian. Or God will get me. Or God won't bless me. Or God will put the verdict on me that I fear. Right? There are many people coming to church. They, they, they faithfully come to church. They serve like crazy. I mean, they're like these church-driven people. Go, go, go. They do everything for church. But when I look into them, they're like, they are not sons. They're not daughters. They don't have grace-motivated obedience. So many of you guys are doing things, and you know, outwardly you look like you're obeying God. But actually, that's not what I'm looking for, and I don't think that's what God is looking for. I'm looking for the heart's motivation behind the obedience. And is it motivated by grace? Grace. Not fear, not obligation, not legalism, not performance, not duty. Grace. And when you see those two things in a human being, they are not like other people. <laughs> These people are not like other people. There's just a solidity to them. There's a humility to them. There's a generosity to them. There's a gladness to them. Christianity is here to produce sons and daughters like this. Now let me close this message. How do you get there? And we'll go to the table of the Lord. This is the Father's meal, which he sent the Son to offer us. Many of you don't have dinners with your folks, <laughs> probably maybe because you don't want to. Right? Many of you don't feel like there's a really great meal until love has been in the food. This is the love in the food. That's what we're going to go to now. But how do we get to this deep, secure love, grace-motivated obedience, that will have sonship in my heart? I'm just going to say this. Jesus says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. The words that I speak to you, you know what that is? The verdict that I place upon you comes from the Father. And here is what the Bible teaches. 
God sent His Son on whom He has absolute pleasure. And then you know what? God placed Him in this world and said, go be a son and show them what sonship looks like. And you know what the son did? (laughs) The son went to hell and back. That's what the cross is. He took every bad verdict. He took every horrific verdict upon himself. And then he said, now watch me. Watch me obey the Father out of pure, secure love and of absolute grace motivation. Watch me do this. And then when you see in me, you'll know that the Father's in me. That's what Jesus did for us. And when you look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look through him, and see that God will say this, I took my son, he went to hell and back. There's no way I'll ever give up on you. And if you are in a hell or a hard problem now, I did it to my son so that you can come to me. There's no way that I'm not going to let you come to me. There's no way I'm not going to give up on you. There's no way I don't have a plan for you. There's no way I don't love you in the absolute way. There's no way I'm not going to be in you and give you my deepest love verdict. We see it in Jesus. That is what the Father did on the Son. And because Jesus did it for us, we're absolutely secure. So I'm going to give you this message today. And I want you to just percolate on this thing. And then week after week, we're going to talk about different aspects of this. And we're going to go to the Father. And by the end of this series, I hope that you will regularly just sit down and go, Dad, I'm having a hard day. And you will believe and know that God is there with you everywhere, always, anything. Because Jesus went to the cross, there's no place the Father will not sit with you and give you His great verdict of pure love and absolute grace. Let's pray. Lord, will you feed us now? We are going to eat bread. We are going to drink wine. Your drink, your food. But into the infinite whole of our hearts, where we're seeking to build a meaning for ourselves, but we're chasing something that's futile until you give this to us. So today, Lord, as we go to your table, you place a seed, a seed which will grow and fill the infinite hole in our heart, Lord, of your presence and of your verdict, of your love, the absolute foundational secure love which goes to the bottom of this hole, Lord God, and of your grace. Cause us to run after you, obey you, and chase you with all that we have. Pray in Jesus' name.